What's good? It's Scoober Dubert. So before these video podcasts, I want to introduce what my guest is so that you know what you're getting yourself into. Um, this is Bermuda. He is the right-hand man of Weird Al Yankovic. He's been playing drums and producing and touring and doing everything with him since 1980. And I think it's a really cool thing because you know, it's parody artist, but also a diamond record holder. You know, that's not usually something that's in the same sentence. And also as a parody artist over the course of like 40 years, they've done everything in popular music, like every genre, everybody from Imagine Dragons to Michael Jackson. And he's been having to decode and figure out the drums to suit that song and create this platform for Weird Al to sit on top of and play accordion. Like how wild is that? And so this has taken him around the world and through it all, he absolutely loves music. And that's why I loved our conversation. So I'm excited for you to hear that. And before you do, I also want to introduce you to Vinyl Moon. Vinyl Moon's our new sponsor and one of the coolest out there. And yeah, this is beautiful art. But the beauty is, is that it comes every single month and it's totally new. So this is not just a record of the month kind of club. This is a compilation. This is like a mixtape. This is your new music discovery vehicle. And it's so much more than that because in an age of like algorithms and discover weeklies, nothing wrong with that. But it's, it's really easy to kind of like sample music and just go 10 seconds here, 10 seconds there, add this to a playlist, never go back to that playlist. Sitting down with a vinyl that's highly curated, that's got really, really cool acts, that's just different. You really discover the music. You really absorb it. And it's not just any old vinyl, you know, it's, it's beautiful. And every single month is a new surprise with a new designer. It's rad. Vinylmoon.co is where you find out about them. And if you get the number 100, the centennial, the century, you will also get, let me find it, one of my songs. So that's my song, Getting Easier, is on this one. Um, they actually found me, like, I had less than probably 5,000 monthly listeners when they found me, you know, before. Um, and a bunch of people f started streaming my music because they found me on Vinyl Moon. And it was cool because it wasn't like looking at me from a numbers perspective or a fame perspective. It was just the music, just listening to the music like you would at a record store or something like that, just in the comfort of your own home. And it's, it's cool. Like they give you these extra goodies, like little cutouts and stuff. It's awesome. It's so rad. Um, so definitely check them out. And they have a new promotion where your first vinyl is free with your subscription. So no risk. Try them out. Check it out. And you'll, you'll love it. You're just going to love it. They, they discover really cool bands. And if you're in a band, be sure to send them your music because I'm sure you're rad because you're listening to this podcast and they find rad stuff and send it around. So anyway, without f further ado, here is my conversation with Bermuda. What's up, everybody? This is Scuba Dubert. Welcome back to Love Music More. I am joined with Bermuda Schwartz, who is going to talk to us all about his uh, life as a drummer, working with amazing um, artists, including Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, we're going to have a great conversation just talking about your, your life on the road, your, your career, and kind of um, your perspective as a musician and just trying to uh, bring the people out so they can, they can love music a little bit more at the end of this program. So welcome, Bermuda. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, and and that all sounds good. And and uh, you know, uh, you you start. <laughs> cool, <laughs> right on. I'm glad to hear it. So, one of my favorite ways to start off a conversation like this is just ask, how did you get acquainted with music? What, where'd you get the bug? How did it 
uh, kind of take your life and and say, okay, this is what I want to do? Well, there was always music in in our house uh, mm-hmm. as a child. My brother played guitar. Cool. Uh, my father, not a lot, but he he owned an accordion and he played accordion. Yes. My mother played piano and 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 sang and not professionally. My brother played, you know, would would become a pro soon. But there was always music in the house. There was uh, there there were Latin orchestra albums. There were Gene Krupa albums. There were comedy yes. albums, Alan awesome. Sherman and and the like. And uh, so uh, there was it was always around me and. Mm-hmm. My my brother at some point actually I, I started taking accordion lessons before I took drum lessons. Really? Did you? Uh, yeah, I, I had, and I was yeah. I was probably eight, maybe I was nine. I don't know. Okay. And uh, that didn't last too long. I mean, I played well enough. I think I mm-hmm. advanced to the second book of the accordion method, the Palmer <laughs> Hughes accordion accordion method. And uh, in the meantime, my brother had had uh, he originally played drums. So there were drums in the house. He switched to guitar while we were living in Phoenix, Mm -hmm. and I inherited his drums and started taking drum lessons. And this was uh, not immediately when the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan's show, but about a year, year and a half later, and after I'd been listening to the Beatles a bit and other pop radio and and still listening to Gene Krupa albums, uh, I started taking drum lessons. And this was uh, around September of 1965. Cool. And uh, so I've been at it for a while. Yes. And uh, almost, almost coming up on 60 years next year. Wow! And, uh, amazing. That's awesome. So, so it was it was there, and and mm-hmm. my parents encouraged me, and mm-hmm. uh, you know we we lived in a house, and I practiced during the day, and and I'm sure made a lot of noise, but they never <laughs> told me to be quiet, and always you know made sure I had lessons, and uh, you know we moved to Los Angeles, and uh, a short time later, and uh, I uh, joined school band, uh, the orchestra, and okay. you know was playing like orchestral stuff i didn't really play yes. drum set in there okay uh in high school i did however i was mm-hmm. in marching bands i was in uh, youth orchestras and basically sort of developed that and had a chance to play with people uh but as, as far as when i decided this was something i wanted to do i was 12 years old and mm-hmm. i don't know what prompted me but i thought being a professional drummer would be a lot of fun you know mm-hmm. maybe i might even make some money so yeah. i was age 12 when i decided that's what i'd really like to do and cool. uh and and I guess that began it. That began a, a life of making decisions that pointed me in that direction. And, uh, you know, some of them deliberate and some of them, uh, you know, right place, right time, you know, stroke okay. of luck. Yeah. And uh, such as meeting Weird Al was completely yes. right place at the right time. You, you can't create that. I didn't know he was going to be where I met him. And uh, that's so was, where that began. So was that on uh, Dr. Demento's radio show? Was that how that it was all? on his, his live okay. show here in L.A.? Cool. And uh, actually, at that point, I'd already been playing around L.A. a bit and doing a bunch okay. of uh, demos and stuff. And mm-hmm. I had sent stuff with some school friends of mine. We were in uh, high school. Mm-hmm. Had sent some songs into Dr. Demento okay. uh, to see if he would play them. And he did. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, he played, played this homemade music. I was among the first people to ever send in homemade music and mm-hmm. get it played. Now, they weren't, they weren't original songs. They were just covers mm-hmm. of songs that he had been playing. Uh-huh. And... Uh, at some point later on, and, and this, and I, I, I can't overemphasize the role that my brother played in a lot of things. One, you know, having a set of drums in the house when I decided I wanted to take drum lessons. But yeah. he uh, he went on to play, uh, among recording with a ton of people, went on to play with Neil Diamond. No way. And uh, played guitar uh, awesome. with Neil Diamond and, and yeah. wrote some songs, uh, you know, for wow. and with Neil. Spent Amazing. many, many years doing that. At any yeah. rate, uh, the keyboard player... One of the keyboard players in Neil's band, Tom Hensley, uh, who still had been working with Neil right up to the end, right up to this last tour, uh, was friends with Dr. Demento and Mm -hmm. I think had produced an album that 
uh, of one of Doctor uh, one of the artists that Doctor Demento played, the Roto Rooter okay. Good Time Christmas okay. Band or something like that, uh-huh. and and uh, he and he had invited my brother and I mm-hmm. uh, through Doctor Demento to go sit in on the show to go see the show live to go sit in the studio with him awesome. so that was the first time this is 1980 summer of 1980 mm-hmm. it was the first time i actually met dr demento after having sent him three recordings in the past mm-hmm. uh, and at this point i should add that dr demento was playing a lot of homemade music some years cool. later he, he started to cater to a lot of home artists that mm-hmm. was really the only outlet they had that they, they couldn't mm-hmm. get on regular radio no no way uh, so I was there, and of course, you know, Doctor Demento remembered the songs I did. He says, "Oh, would you like to come and do an interview and talk about the stuff you sent in, you know, five, six, seven years ago now, and uh, you know, and what you're doing now?" I said, cool. "Oh, that that'd yeah. be great." So we set a date, uh, September fourteenth, nineteen eighty, and uh, I went down there on that day, and Weird Al was there. Mm-hmm. Now. He had already been sending in a lot of stuff uh, to the show, mm-hmm. and and he was one of the regulars on there. There were like a series mm-hmm. of like cast members, and they would okay. do funny bits and answer, take requests and stuff like that. And yeah. he was there and uh, was de- wanted to debut a song he had just written that weekend, which okay. was another one rides the bus or Queens, another one bites the dust. Yeah. And he asked if I would beat on his accordion. It was very organic. It was him and the accordion, yeah. people yeah. standing around with noisemakers and stuff, and okay. asked if I would beat on his accordion case, which. I did. You know, I, cool. I knew who he was. Yes. I thought that was pretty cool. Totally. And Dr. Demento recorded that, you know, just okay. a two-track stereo, but he yeah. rolled tape when we did the song. Yeah. So there's an official recording of that very, the night I met him, the night I started recording with him is, and it got released on, on as singles and on the first album. Fantastic. Uh, That's incredible. So that was, that was the beginning of that. And, and yeah. legend has it, and it probably is mm-hmm. correct. I, I must've said to him that night, I said, you know, you, uh, you should have a band. I'll be your drummer. Yes, and uh, and uh, you know, and again, I I didn't go there to meet him. It just yeah. stroke of luck, right place, right time. Uh-huh. I said the right thing, I guess. Uh-huh. And uh, and here I am, you know, coming up on forty three years later. Amazing. And uh, forty three, it's over forty three. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of albums, a lot of tours, a mm-hmm. bunch of TV, some movie stuff. Um, I've put out two photo books on Al. I always had a camera with me. Cool. Uh, he graciously allowed me to use a ton of photos of him. Awesome. And, uh, you know, it's been and, and continues and should be, you know, mm-hmm. God willing and barring any unforeseen circumstances, mm-hmm. a continuing career. I mean, we have a plan for the next tour. I already have a set list. Great. I had it a year and a awesome. half in advance awesome. of what we're supposed to play on this next tour. Cool. Uh, in 2025. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, no end in sight. I mean, there's a lot of artists work well into their 70s and even 80s. And mm-hmm. I, you know, Al's younger than all of us, so he'll probably make it longer than we all do. <laughs> but I, I think he'll do this as long as he can and as long as people continue to come see him. And mm-hmm. they are. They, they have not, it's not slowed down a bit. I love that. And I also love that um, just kind of the hope, the glimmer of hope that it can give other home recorders and other people that are trying to break into music scenes and stuff, just seeing like, oh no, other people have done this. You have to find a broadcast partner is usually like a, a part of the trick is like somebody that can help amplify the, the music and the message. You have to find community like yourself and Weird Al come in together to be able to create that synergy, do, do stuff together. And then you also have to position yourself like you, you were willing to say, hey, I'll play the accordion case. I don't need a whole drum kit. I don't need my writer. I don't need my green M&Ms. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm down for the adventure. And uh, put yourself into that place. And it turned into a, a career. 
It, it, it sure did, yeah. and and uh, for which we're all very grateful. You know, we, yeah. you know, everyone asks him and all of us. You know, at what mm-hmm. point did you realize this was going to be a career? And it, yeah. and it's just it's hard to say because every every year or two, every new album, every new video and MTV hit mm-hmm. video that we had, you yeah. know, it was like a, a ne- the next level. It was like, well, this is mm-hmm. good for a couple of more, two or three or four more years, and then we'd have another one out, and it just it kept going and going and going, and we don't know, you know, when it might stop or slow down or, mm-hmm. or anything it's it's done neither you know as far as uh musicians making music at home and getting it out there i mean thankfully there's the internet yeah and and with social media you know assuming you have a, a good networking uh skill and can get it out there and get it out to the right people you know who will share it mm-hmm. uh and that's free and mm-hmm. on demand and mm-hmm. uh, you know and we didn't have that you know, really in the, in the, you know, 60s or 70s or 80s, you know, and it was a little while in the 90s before that became a reality. You know, now everyone can do it. And, yes. and there's all sorts of uh, channels and, and outlets that cater to that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just a matter of getting some eyes and ears on it. But you don't have to go through radio. I mean, I don't know mm-hmm. that you even could anymore. Right. Uh, you, could, you can still do it through Dr. Demento. He still does his show. It's online yes. only now. Uh, and people submit stuff to him all the time. And there's, there's, quite a bit of great I want to do that. comedy out there and, and great minds creating stuff at home mm-hmm. you know or, or with their bands and sending it in and dr demento plays in it. it's like well that's exactly how al came up you know amazing that's i i'd love to do that that's a great that'd be a great idea um so i would love to talk about kind of that early that early stage so i know uh weird al he was he was doing home recording and then also did you ever did you bond on a, the accordion um kind of background or how, how did how did that kind of initial spark uh, start, i i'm start sure i i must have mentioned it to him at some <laughs> point but i do recall uh specifically we were on the road and 1984 or five or something like that. Yes. We were in St. Louis. We were at Six Flags over Mid America, just outside of St. Louis. Yeah. And and during sound check, I went and picked up his accordion. I probably hadn't picked up an accordion and, since I put it down when I was you know a kid. <laughs> uh-huh. And I and I remembered a couple of little things. And I sort of played it. And he was he was uh, I, I'm probably horrified <laughs> that I was able to make a sound at all out of that because I'm not you know I otherwise didn't really have any melodic background I, yeah. I couldn't sing you know and I, I rarely was asked to sing for that reason you know so he he must have thought that I had no concept of notes or anything like that and I <laughs> sort of halfway got through one of these old songs that I knew as a kid yeah. and he was he was really surprised he was very very cool. surprised uh, that it had that that had happened, and I'd mentioned that my uh, father had played accordion, and I have his his old accordion. It's a big full size accordion, cool. and I hadn't touched it in years and years. And a year or two ago, during COVID, you know, I had nothing mm-hmm. to do, so I'm sitting around the house. Hey, cool, yeah. And I and I took it out and and you know very carefully opened it up because the bellows are made of like calfskin or something. Wow. I mean, it's you know yeah. it's, it's organic, and mm-hmm. you know so they're like sort of a little bit stuck together. But I mm-hmm. opened it up carefully and I picked it up. And, put my fingers in the right place and i played that song again yeah and i still remembered only the one song and i don't Uh think i could hear something and duplicate it i just Uh remember all the finger positions on that yeah and uh that was pretty cool so i still have his accordion here and i I must have asked al if he wanted it for some Uh, reason and he's he's got enough accordions so i'm sure uh, (laughs) i'm sure he's got quite the collection (laughs) but he's he's certainly aware that i can Mm -hmm. pick up his accordion and make some sounds with it yes that you're just just dangerous enough yeah, and therefore that has never been done in concert, or you know. And now Bermuda would like to play the accordion for you. I mean, he's yes. never pulled that because he knows what a train wreck that would be. <laughs> I love that though. There was a uh, on a tour that I did. Um, the sound guy um, was the absolute worst violinist, but he would always play violin for the soundtrack. <laughs> 
Um, and even if it was in a festival where there's, you know, people are able to hear the monitors, he would go out and just rip the worst uh, oh. version of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and everyone in the front <laughs> row is clutching their head. Uh, well, that classic. way the band sounds really good. Exactly. No, yeah, it's the best yeah. possible opener. <laughs> Um, so in terms of kind of so you start you start working together, um, you've you've developed your career, you've developed your chops, you're in LA. Um, how how do you kind of take it to the next uh, level and and start playing live and growing into a, a touring act, like kind of flipping from a, like a regional act to a national act? Like how do, how does that how does that start to progress and and kind of what did you see and what kind of lessons would you be able to pass on from that kind of? Well, this this was at a time MTV was brand new. Uh, uh, you know, Al got on a proper record label with proper distribution, with worldwide distribution. Awesome. And uh, actually, we we uh, the the well, the way the first album came about, and then the sure. record contract. First album came about. We were well, we were sort of Al and I and a couple of people. Actually, my brother came in and played on hey, some cool. of these very early pre-album things. I played Sweet. on the first album too a little bit. Sweet. But awesome. we we were uh, going to do a, a parody. We. Uh, we did a parody of I Love Rock and Roll called I Love Rocky Road about ice cream. <laughs> so the Joan Jett song, right? Yeah. And in in getting, Al got to a point where he would seek permission from at least one of the writers of the song. And mm -hmm. Joan Jett didn't write the song. So he had to go to a guy named, uh, uh, God, I can't think of his nice. name. Nice. It's on the credits. I know that. It was Liza Minnelli's husband. No way. Uh, uh I, I'm sorry, I can't think of his name. I'm sorry, but he no, he uh, in in seeking permission, and we had made a recording of it. We had just done like a, a living room type recording, actually, with a bunch of his friends and me on the accordion case again. Cool. And uh, uh, in seeking permission, uh, the guy said, uh, "Yeah, that'd be great." I also happen to manage Rick Derringer, oh. and and uh, let me let me see about getting you a proper way to record this. Cool. So. Yes. He that evolved into getting some spec time mm -hmm. at uh, Cherokee Studios, famous Great. studio in L.A. Awesome. And Rick Derringer came in, and we didn't really have a band. I mean, it was just me and and uh, Al. So mm -hmm. we got a bass player, cool. who then uh, Steve, who is still with us, Steve J. Uh, Amazing. Who had come out from Florida. Yeah. And uh, one of his bandmates at the time was a guy named Jim West, and Jim wasn't officially the guitar player yet. Steve had kind of joined the band, played on mm -hmm. the first album with me, mm -hmm. Al, Rick Derringer, and guitar, and then we re and so here's this album's worth of songs that yes. Al's manager is, is now shopping to different labels. Cool. And and all the labels, the story goes, you know, all the labels said, you know, someone's going to make a million bucks with you guys, just not us. Just not us. <laughs> anyway, finally somebody said, you know, somebody's yeah. going to make a million bucks. It's going to be us. Yes. Uh huh. And that was the Scotty Brothers. Cool. Well, this this happened literally seven, eight, nine months after we recorded the album to begin with. Mm -hmm. uh, so the songs that were on there, uh, they were saying, "Well, you know, we understand you're doing parody songs of kind of current songs. You know, mm -hmm. that's that's a good thing, but nothing on here is terribly current. Can we get something new, and then we'll go ahead and, and release the album, you know, as is?" Mm -hmm. So we came in and recorded a few more songs, and I think Jim West at that point uh, came in and recorded with us, and that was. Uh, Ricky became uh, and and that became the, the single, the first single and first video, cool. mm -hmm. and then he also came in and, and uh, we recorded the Buckingham Blues, which actually I think was the B side of Ricky, as it turns out. Okay, I, I think. Uh, uh -huh. Anyway, that became the first video. That was that was mm -hmm. uh, uh, May of 1983, maybe. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, 
April, May. A- again, MTV was pretty new. It was just a mm-hmm. couple of years old. Uh, they they were still playing videos. <laughs> that was they were all yeah, about the right. music videos. Right. And not, not everybody had TV. videos. So a lot of repeat stuff. They were very yeah. hungry for fresh content. Yes. They were hungry for unique content. Well, okay. here's a guy doing a, a parody, you know, playing accordion, uh-huh. and uh, uh, and we we did a uh, we didn't really parody the Mickey video, Tony Basil's Mickey video. We just you know, of course, we did the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a reference to Tony Basil in there. We had a cheerleader come in and dance around at the end. But the whole thing was shot in uh, it was produced in black and white, like an I Love Lucy episode. And Al got uh, uh, the woman that sang the Ricky part, the I'm sorry, the the uh, Lucy part on the song was uh, Tress McNeil. And Tress went on to do a lot of voiceovers for cartoons. She's a regular oh, on The right. Simpsons. Cool. And she came in and, and got done up as Lucy for the video. She looked like Lucy, like Lucy Ricardo <laughs> from the 50s. She really had that vibe. It was great. Uh-huh. Uh, mm-hmm. Al shaved off his mustache. Yeah. Uh, they, they pulled his hair back and put a, put a kind of a pompadour, black pompadour, shiny wig on him. Uh, took the glasses off. And and he was Ricky to her Lucy. <laughs> anyway, hit video. A lot yeah. of lot of airplay yeah. on that. And it's cool. like we gotta make another video. Yes, so we took right. now we go back to I Love Rocky Road, which is a uh-huh. year and a half or two maybe old at this point. Did a video for that. A lot of airplay. And that mm-hmm. sells albums, that yes. sells concert tickets. Mm-hmm. Now the very first tour we went on was not really even our tour. I think it was uh uh May, maybe into June of nineteen eighty three. And we went out, Dr. Demento used to go around and tour around and do a live version in front of an audience of his show, mm-hmm. uh, where he could show videos, which he couldn't mm-hmm. do on the radio, of course. Cool. Yep. And and he played some stuff that was a little racy, you know, that, uh-huh. that wouldn't fly on the radio. Uh-huh. And and we went out as his live musical act. We did a little nice. three-week tour. Yeah. And it was great. We had a great time. We we mm-hmm. drove ourselves. We had a mm-hmm. station wagon and a U-Haul. We cool. humped all the gear. We didn't even have someone doing sound or lights. It's just whoever was in the club, we mm-hmm. trusted them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, we couldn't really we couldn't play Ricky because we just we didn't have the female mm-hmm. uh, vocal to yeah. do. Yeah. And I think we did we did try it a couple of times where I tried to sing it and just kind uh-huh. of squeaked out a you know <laughs> hey hey. And and it wasn't really it wasn't working. So we showed a, a film. We showed a sixteen millimeter film of the video. Cool. While we did a costume change to come out and finish with some other song. Cool. Anyway, we did that for three weeks. Did well. You know, uh-huh. album sold pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, started to make a new one later mm-hmm. on. Next album would have Eat It on it. Mm-hmm. And eat it, mm-hmm. much bigger hit than yes. you know. And and you know, and of course, Michael was huge. Well, Michael's always been huge. Yes. And. Got Michael's approval on that and cool. uh, did the video. Used uh, uh, the same white gang leader, Vince Patterson, was in. Was actually Michael's and Madonna's and some other people did choreography for all of them. Wow! And appeared in some videos. A very wow. well known choreographer. Yeah. yeah. And he came down and and was in the mm-hmm. video, sort of to to just lend a little authenticity and and you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that did very very well uh, on on MTV. While that was coming out, we went on another tour with Dr. Okay. Demento in February yes. and into March. And during that time, Eat It is going up in the charts. I think it it uh, uh, was like number 12 on Billboard. Oh, my God. A hit video on, on yeah. MTV. And yeah. in the meantime now, Dr. Demento's show with the special musical guest became Weird Al's show with kind of Demento, you know, okay. being the guy. And then you wait for Weird Al at the end. Yeah. Uh, we went out again a few months later in the summer, and now we're on our own. Now we have a bus mm. uh, and a driver. We've got a sound guy and a light guy. And... That's that's kind of summer of '84 is when it really began to take off, and yes. we were 
on our own and, and really doing it. Uh, came back, worked on another album. Nice. Uh, Madonna's Like a Surgeon, Like a Virgin. Perfect, perfect. Uh, again, hit yeah. video, big hit video. Uh, yes. 1985 tour, the, the, the album was Dare to be Stupid, which was named after one of the songs on the album, which also had its own video. Uh, that came out. Uh, we we uh, had a tour planned. Mm-hmm. I, I forget if it was CBS or, or who it was. Uh, wanted to do a, a video. Wanted to do like a, a Showtime special. Okay. And uh, they actually funded some of the videos in, mm-hmm. in shooting this whole thing. Mm-hmm. They paid for a couple of the videos. There was a book that came out that was sort of a companion to that, The Authorized Owl, which is a very expensive book now. It's very popular cool. yes. uh, with among the fans. Mm-hmm. But this came out, and it's called The Complete Owl. Mm-hmm. And uh, C-O-M-P-L-E-A-T, Al. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- so that aired on Showtime, but also came out in, in video. Came out mm-hmm. uh, in VHS and beta at the time, later on DVD, later. And I think I, ooh, I have. You have one? I have one right in front of me. Yes, perfect. The, uh, the yes. Complete Al, and this is a uh, DVD. Anyway, uh, so... 85 was a great year. 86, yeah. another album. You know, we had like Amazing. like four albums in four years, 83, 84, 85, Amazing. 86. Mm-hmm. Uh, 86, the, uh, the the lead single was Living with a Hernia for James Brown's <laughs> Living with America. Uh, didn't do terribly well. The album mm-hmm. did not, it's still, mm-hmm. th- th- a million years later, still has not gone gold. Mm-hmm. And this is over many, many mm-hmm. years of albums actually selling. Mm-hmm. Whereas some right. albums went gold in a month or two. Wow. Uh, many yeah. of them went platinum. That album, still, that album hasn't gone gold. That was uh, mm. uh, Polka Party. Polka Party. Not that the song wasn't mm-hmm. well done. Not that the video wasn't funny. It's just mm-hmm. not sure what happened. Mm-hmm. Not sure what happened. And and mm-hmm. uh, we decided that it, there was sort of no point in touring on that album. I'm not sure okay. exactly what happened, but mm-hmm. it was like, you know, I don't, you know. And we would have probably toured the following year, mm-hmm. and we didn't. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, Al is beginning to write a movie. Mm. Based on uh, you know three hit albums, he yep. and his manager co-wrote mm-hmm. a, a movie and uh, called UHF, mm. and that was shot during 1988. Uh, okay. A lot of it was shot on location in different locations in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, we're already beginning the next album, which cool. would be called Even Worse. Mm-hmm. And we had again Michael Jackson. We did Take Off on Bad called Fat, <laughs> and that was. Not only was that really a funny song and really yes. well done. And by the way, I should add that that starting with the second album, first album was very kind of rock band based, like with an accordion lead. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a big effort to try and sound like the original song. I mean, okay. sonically, right? You know, we played the parts. We just played them on accordion and and you know guitar, bass, and drums. Interesting. Yeah. Now, uh, actually, real quick before you before you continue, how do you um how how are you approaching that? Just from kind of drum tones and and kind of your take on those parts, but kind of breathing life into it in your own way and dealing with the other musicians. Were you how, how are you how are you kind of like digesting those parts and then and determining what you were going to be playing? Well, on the first album, mm-hmm. because we weren't trying to do that, okay. because we weren't trying to copy the original song, yes. Uh, uh, I, I did have a certain amount of freedom. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess I did. I mean, I should add that when we did My Bologna for My Sharona, mm-hmm. we did it in a in a way that, that we had been playing it live for a little bit already, oh, cool. which was not really what the knack was doing. It was like mm-hmm. a complete... Because, di- you know, here the guy's playing accordion, so why, why would I play the real <laughs> drum part? Right, right. right. And, anyway, so we recorded that. And it's, it sounds nothing like the knack. Mm-hmm. Now, 
mm-hmm. in later years when we would come out and we would do that in a medley, I would do the proper Bruce Gary parts. You know, okay, and yeah. we would we would really sound like we start to sound, but with an accordion up front. But <laughs> it really had more of a vibe. Sorry to interrupt this very important broadcast, but it's time for one more advertisement for myself for this podcast. Um, what I what I'm asking for is for you to rate it five stars, share it with your friends. This is like the most important thing for this podcast to grow. So if you want to do this, you go onto the podcast screen, right? You click on the dot 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 on Spotify. Under there, it says rate show, and you go and you click it five stars. If you could do that for me, that's the best way for the algorithms, all this stuff to share it out with the world. I know that it's a lot to ask, but if you could please, 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 just please just hit those three dots and then a five star would really help us out and helps us, you know, get the, get the word out and spread the love of music. So thank you. If you're listening on YouTube, you know what to do. Like subscribe, all that good stuff. Thank you so much. And uh, here's the rest of the episode. Well, it was Rick Derringer, I think that suggested after that first album, as we started to record the second album, he says, you know, we should probably really go after the sounds and Mm -hmm. the the parts, the exact parts and the the feel of the original, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. will lend make it even funnier with these different lyrics against it so right, when there's a musical right. you know somebody hears your song come on the radio they'll think it's michael jackson and uh-huh. all of a sudden it's al singing yes yeah you know? so with it. the second exactly. album we did start to pay much closer attention to to parts and sounds mm-hmm. and parts aren't really a problem mm-hmm. uh sounds you know uh that doesn't all happen in the studio i mean i i they had to get different drums, you know, cool, different snares to use. Yes, uh, yes. I, I explored different cymbal sounds. Okay. You know, I was very cautious about tuning. Yes. Uh, there, there were a lot of considerations in going to the studio. And also at this point, and this was 19, late 83 and into early 84, uh, you were starting to hear a lot of synthesized stuff on the radio, yes, a definitely. lot of program stuff in it. And it was mm-hmm. to get more and more prevalent over the years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was... That was still a little bit of a mystery to me. I didn't get my first drum machine. I actually got electronic. Mm-hmm. I got a Simmons kit in '84 because okay. I knew I would need it at some point. But that's yes. really not. That's a specific kind of a sounding thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until 1985 that I actually got a drum machine mm-hmm. and started exploring programming. Cool. Yes, and you know, and sequences. And yes. it was it was probably '89 or or '90 mm-hmm. that I got my first sampler. Okay, and I already had uh, computers at that point, and mm-hmm. I began working on actual file sound files yes and over the next several years i got into sound design yes which i I really learned when i would hear something because all those Mm -hmm. songs we were copying all those producers out there are doing some pretty cutting edge stuff totally you know they're making drum sounds with anything but drums Uh so i couldn't just i'd have to listen to something and i got to a point where i couldn't i couldn't uh determine what they had done i couldn't Mm -hmm. determine what where they got a sound, it certainly hadn't come from a machine. No machines I knew of, mm-hmm. and you know, my my goal then was to listen to the you know to decipher, to pick out you know, I, I'm trying to listen to that snare sound, to that kick sound, to yes. those toms, and figure out what I need to do to make that sound. Yes. And oftentimes, what I needed to do was combine sounds, was to layer sounds. And now you're talking sound design. Now you're talking right. what synth guys do. Totally. Except I'm the drummer, uh-huh. but I, I'm doing all that. I'm, I'm, you know, and and the parts weren't hard. A lot of the mm-hmm. songs we were doing that that were uh, programmed, that were all sequenced, were all, uh, you know, for the drums, well, for bass and guitar and, and keys, or whatever, were basically sometimes, usually a four bar section, and yes. that was looped. Mm-hmm. And within that four bars, you know, you had a little variation or no variation, whatever. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you know, you they would almost always be in four-bar sections. So I only had to figure out what those four bars were, uh-huh. line them up all together, figure out if maybe there was a part where they stopped or cut out or whatever. And that, you know, I didn't want, I don't 
try not to leave that up to the engineer. They have enough to do. I mm-hmm. try and provide files, stems mm-hmm. of yeah. uh, everything as it should appear in the song. Cool. Uh, so I would lay up these samples that I had made, mm-hmm. and I lay them up, and I'm very old school. I originally actually did MIDI programming in Pro Tools, which is the last yeah. thing you want to do in Pro Tools. Totally. Uh, but I didn't use Pro Tools to record. I just made mm-hmm. the MIDI files, cool. uh, imported the files into my sampler, okay. and let it play the samples. Okay. Well, yeah. later I learned to actually make full-on mm-hmm. wave files, and uh, I did that uh, in in Acid in like oh cool uh, yeah Sony, Sony uh-huh. made it mm-hmm. for a while. I don't know who makes it now, but mm-hmm. uh, which you know Acid Garage Band, you know, mm-hmm. and basically lay it out as mm-hmm. it will look in Pro Tools later. And of course, I know the format that that uh, you know the engineer needs, and you know I, I know the tempo we're going to do, and if there's any arrangement changes. But I'm able mm-hmm. to go in and create. On those songs, and most of the parodies we were doing after a certain point were all sequenced. Yes. And there's not a, almost a live drum on any of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would go ahead and, and get all that together. So, I mean, my development as a player grew with Al's you know, uh, yes. agenda for doing popular songs. Mm-hmm. And he just expected us to do it you know it's like oh you guys can play eat it that's great and he would just throw stuff at us and Mm -hmm. not understand that we had to work hard (laughs) to to get these sounds out out. yep me me above anybody (laughs) Uh, uh, because it was really hard to figure out what you know some of these guys were doing totally our our, uh uh, and we didn't really have a keyboard player we did for a couple of years and Mm -hmm. and then we kind of went without one for a while and we just hired guys Mm -hmm. and the keyboard players, though, weren't always up on the sounds. Now, Jim West mm-hmm. plays the mean keyboard. He's very good at sound design. He's a guitar player, but he can play keyboards, but he knows sounds. So he, he could sounds. do a lot of that stuff. And Steve yep. J also mm-hmm. uh, you know, knows sounds. So I, uh, on this last album, well, on the last album mm-hmm. so far in our careers, it was mm-hmm. 2014. It was mandatory fun. Mm-hmm. De- debuted at number one on the Billboard charts. Amazing. Not comedy. Yeah. The, the chart, the, the 200 charts. album yes. chart. That's pretty big deal. That's pretty big. Deal. Uh, all of the all of the uh, parodies on there were all done by either me and Jim or mm-hmm. me and Steve. Yes, and then Al sang. Cool. And that was it. That was Amazing. we did just two of us did all of the yeah. music for wow. all the parodies. And yeah. in fact, so no keyboard uh-huh. player on those. And our regular yes. keyboard player, who Ruben uh, Valtiera, had been mm-hmm. with us since 1991. He didn't end up on that album. There mm. were some live piano parts and, and mm-hmm. key parts on the originals. Now, the okay. albums are all half originals, half parodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al did all of those. He became, mm. uh, there was cool. a point where you know his right hand could play a right, piano-type keyboard. Yeah, exactly. But left, left hand is buttons. It's a weird thing. So yeah. he had to develop his left hand to play cool. chords and, and you know right. stuff like that. And mm-hmm. he was able to do that. And he played very well. We did one song that was kind of a Cat Stevens mm-hmm. sounding thing, obviously very heavy piano thing. And mm-hmm. Al did great on that. He did really, really well on that. Uh, and, and it was very, very cool to have a number one album. That yeah, album, Mandatory Fun, also mm-hmm. s- uh, signaled the end of his contract, finally. Wow. <laughs> uh, now, Sony, oh or, or, yes. or Volcano, I guess, had bought mm-hmm. uh, uh, the the Scotty Brothers music catalog. Okay. And they actually cut all of the artists. They, they canceled all their contracts. Uh, they And they had an interesting roster. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, I think James Brown was living in America, was on Scotty Brothers. Mm-hmm. David Cassidy had ended up on Scotty Brothers or something. I think Petula Clark had ended up on Scotty Brothers. They had a very they they did a number of very soundtrack collected. compilations, things like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Volcano basically released all of it and only kept Al. Hmm. And then eventually we went through the through the uh, you know process of of working our way up or over or across the hall to Sony, and we were eventually on on Sony. Mm-hmm. Well, the contract even 
when it was bought, and it's been renewed a few times, but basically this signified the last album of the current contract. And Al had already decided, he says, you know, the Internet's in place. You know, Al knows how Mm -hmm. to promote things. Mm -hmm. Al is friendly with Apple and can certainly get stuff on iTunes Mm -hmm. when he wants it. Artists couldn't do that before. You had to be with a label. Well, now artists can do that. And Al said, uh, you know, we're we're not going to renew. We don't Mm -hmm. need a record label. One, albums aren't selling. Mm-hmm. You know, two, mm-hmm. uh, I can get my stuff all over the internet and on mm-hmm. Spotify and wherever I need it without mm-hmm. the help of a label. You know, mm-hmm. I can do that as an artist that has a proven track record. Yes, and that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, left the label, uh, that freed up Al to to do whatever he wants. We don't have to do twelve songs in order to have an album. We can record yes. a song and have it out in three or four or five days. Exactly. Yep. You know, and where he wants it, you know, you mm-hmm. want you want and you want iTunes to promote it or, or Apple Music to promote it on a specific date. They will do that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they wouldn't do that twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to have a, somebody to label make a phone call. Yes. Well, that's that's all changed. Of course, now nobody's actually buying that music anyway. That's just mm-hmm. become promotion. But you go on the road, people mm-hmm. still have to pay to walk through the front door, and mm-hmm. that's that's where the money is. Used to be the albums yes. sold a ton, right? And and uh, you know the the uh, tour helped promote album sales. Now exactly. you put free songs out there, and that promotes the tour. <laughs> and the totally. tour is where you make uh, t-shirts. You know, merch mm-hmm. is a big thing for any artist, really. Definitely, definitely. And uh, our fans are very, very loyal. We've got a lot of the same fans we had forty years ago. Love that. And they're bringing their kids now. That's so cool. You know, and there's there's little kids. There's there's old men. There's you know everything <laughs> in between, and it's uh, it's great. A very wide demo uh, in our audience. Yeah, it's very cool. Very, sa- very satisfying. And it keeps growing. It just it keeps growing. There's no sign of it slowing down. I love that. I, I think you touched on a lot of a lot of really great things in there. I'd love to dig a little bit deeper on. Um, the one that I, I really perked my ears up was knowing the sounds. And I think that that's something that people, especially, you know, going to music school or people that are really diving deep onto an instrument, um, sometimes miss the idea of learning just sound in general or being flexible to develop skills like sound design or, or going, I'm an acoustic kit player, but like, let's, let's learn how to do this programming thing and then going down that rabbit hole. But now it's it's pretty much mandatory if you want to work in this business you have to really understand sound um would love to just hear more about kind of how you keep keep up to date how you keep pushing yourself um and how you're able to pull off records with you know two core band members that's that's really cool i i uh well i mean i it began really with my not wanting to not be the drummer yeah. on the records. So I it's like it, these these are we're doing songs that need, you know, sequences and I'm I'm gonna get a machine. Yep. You know? Uh, yep. you know, are drum machines putting drummers out of work? Not me. I went and got a machine. Exactly. So, exactly. So that, that's what began there. it. And yep. and then and then it just it evolved. You know, we're always chasing uh, you know, cutting edge production stuff. Yes. And as sound design became a thing, you know, prob- probably in the nineties, I guess. Uh, you know, we had to follow suit. There was no either that or or he hires somebody else. And I just, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't. I never wanted that to happen. You yeah. know, and I suppose deep down, you know, I really wanted to learn as well. You know, it'd yeah. be like oh, this right. this it's probably something I you know might come in handy someday. If not for someone else, you know, for Al's next record, you know, I, yes. I need to I need to know this stuff. Yeah. And and it really and it was an evolution for me. And it started with the machine, you know, which just meant programming, you know, a limited whatever the sounds were in the machine. And I got different machines. Uh, and and then later it became uh, buying like CDs, CD-ROMs of Ooh. samples, uh-huh. you know, of, of yeah. sample libraries that I would put into uh, the sampler and then trigger those via MIDI. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I had a, a, you know, and I've still got all those CDs, although I, I dare say most of those sounds are obsolete. Uh, later, I learned to uh, seek out remixes of records, and I was able to pull samples off of those. Cool. So a lot of the yeah. stuff I've got are, are samples, some of them from the original recordings where, awesome. where possible. Now, awesome. not always possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I had to, I'm a good listener. If nothing mm-hmm. else, I, yes. I, I listen well. And I would, uh, you know, I, and I guess I developed that by listening to drum parts mm-hmm. and having, and I would write out entire, mm-hmm. note for note, an entire song's worth of every little stupid part Love was it. written out. Yep. And, and, I, and if I wasn't sure, I would listen again and again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And so the parts are one thing. And, and getting to the sounds, I would just listen to it. And again, not knowing what they did, didn't become an issue because it's like, well, what do what do I hear? What mm-hmm. can what sounds do I hear in there? There's a snare on there, like the snare on the on the song "Word Crimes," which is a parody of Blurred Lines, mm-hmm. which I thought should have been a single. It's just we had recorded it and we didn't. The album didn't come out till much later with a newer mm-hmm. lead single yeah. on it, and "Word Crimes" became. Although there mm-hmm. was a video for it, that became mm-hmm. a secondary deal. Well, I mm-hmm. thought it was a great song, all about grammar and stuff and, yeah. and grammar misuse. Anyway, there, it's a four-bar loop in there. There's mm-hmm. all sorts of little percussion things. There's a breaking glass sample. There's all this stuff going on. And and I'm listening and listening and uh, and the snare, and mm-hmm. it's always the snare. And I'll tell you another Again, Imagine yes, Dragon yes, story please. in a second. Yes, please. Yes. Uh, you know, the snare had a certain sound. It wasn't really just a snare. There mm. wasn't a hand clap on it, so I knew mm. it, it wasn't that. It was a very specific, tight sound, but it wasn't just a snare, or maybe it wasn't a snare at all. And I'm listening. I thought, mm. you know, if I put if I put a rim click, like a dark, you know, rim click on there, that'll give me that knock that I'm sort of hearing in there. That'll give it mm. that attack that I'm hearing that... I don't. I know it's not a drum, but I'll bet if I put it over a snare, it's mm. the best of both. And all of a sudden, mm. it started to take shape. And I think I might have put mm. and and might have. Tra- and I also I manipulate the samples as well. Yes. So I think I put a single hand clap over cool. it as well. Yeah. That had a little bit of snap to it and a little bit of a, a clop to it. Okay. And between that and whatever snare I used and and whatever rim click I used, the the mm-hmm. knock on there, that was the snare. And I've got all of this stuff written down mm-hmm. exactly the samples I used, Sweet. so I could awesome. go back and, you know, I don't remember it, but I wrote it all yeah, down. Sure. Anyway, it turned out great, and uh, uh, really, and I and I love doing that song. We've done that mm-hmm. live for well since the 2015 tour. Since that album cool. came out, yeah. there's one other uh, mm-hmm. sound, again a snare sound that really befuddled yeah. me. Okay, and this was we were doing a, a parody of the Imagine Dragons. Uh, Radioactive, and ours was called inactive. About a guy mm-hmm. that just sits in a couch and just plays video games and watches watches TV. And I I could not I couldn't quite figure out the the snare in there. I mean I could hear what it was, but there was something going on. And in the context of the music, I couldn't really I mm-hmm. couldn't really do it. And there was none of this AI stuff where you can right, upload cool, a track yeah. and it'll send you back just the drum track, and it's clean enough to mm-hmm. hear what's going on. Mm-hmm. That would have been great to have thirty years ago or Definitely, twenty or yes. even ten years. Yeah. No, I, I no. just and I put something together and we're getting closer and closer to the recording date and I, I put something together that would have been suitable. I wasn't real mm-hmm. happy with it. I probably would have passed by Al and everyone else, but I just I, I knew it wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And so I decided I, I reached out to the drummer in Imagine Dragons hey, and I know cool. he you know, uh-huh. I know it wasn't played, but uh-huh. that he'd be able to give me some direction on it. Yeah. And I, I sent him an email and explained the situation and I said, you know, I never do this. 
I uh-huh. don't ever, you know, get <laughs> need to ask for help, but I need your help. I just, I can't quite, there's something going on with that snare. Mm-hmm. And I'm waiting and, you know, 10 days or a couple of weeks go by and we're going in to record it like in a couple of days. It's like, mm-hmm. I just, I'm, I'm going to go back one more time and try and, and work on that sound. But it's just like, and I'd already given up on, on him. Anyway, mm-hmm. I go back to open up the computer and I've got an email from him mm-hmm. and he sent me the stem of the snares from yes. the song. Awesome. And... And uh, and I'm listening to it. It's like oh, I never. There's like a sweep that there's a thing that leads up to it, but there's a little yeah. gap before the hit, Ooh, and it's, cool. there's a filter going on, and there's all this stuff going on that's buried yeah. in the music, but yeah. contributes to it Definitely. in a way that my snare didn't. Yes. And and I'm listening to this. I, I never would have figured that. And I thanked him profusely. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I lined that all up, and I made mm-hmm. I made the stems of that. And when I send it in, I mean, we at this point we're just like emailing, you know, or doing mm-hmm. a Dropbox or whatever of our parts. Mm-hmm. Right. And I said, you know, to to the engineer, I said, "Do not, do not compress this. <laughs> yes. Do not EQ it. This is yes. really this is the snare from the record that we are doing. Yes, and and just and don't just leave it as is. And cool. that made that made mm. the song. And I, I was forever mm-hmm. grateful to him. And uh, but that's the only time I've had to reach out and ask for some help. Everything else has mm-hmm. been really close or. You know, almost almost exact, and I can't mm-hmm. say that we always did that very well because we go back and listen when we first got this concept of copying mm-hmm. the original sounds. Mm-hmm. We go back and listen to "Eat It," and it's like yeah. you know that doesn't really sound that close to "Beat It." I mean, it's kind of mm-hmm. sort of, but it's not mm-hmm. really. Now, if we mm-hmm. did that now, mm-hmm. if we were to copy that song now, it would sound yes exactly like it was intended to sound. Yes. And I and I dare say, and we got you know, we all got much much better mm-hmm. on each album. And I dare say that that last album. We really, really yes. sounded like the original songs that we were yes. parodying. Very, very happy. And when we do the original mm-hmm. songs, and a lot of those are in the the uh, uh, style and, and sound and production value of certain bands, certain yes. artists, right. without being, you know, you can mm-hmm. listen to it and go, that sounds kind of like this guy's song, although obviously not legally, but it sounds, yeah, right. you know, uh-huh. Al's not going to get sued, but mm-hmm. we know where he got this idea. And it sounds, you know, that sounds like that group playing Al's song. Yeah. Without singing it, and that's yeah. always been the intention. You know, we did a Doors mm-hmm. uh, pastiche. Mm-hmm. Actually, we had uh, we had a little authenticity on that. No way. We had Ray Manzarek play keyboards no on that. Awesome. And and but the idea, oh, you know, cool. it's, for me to be the John Densmore, it would be yeah. like, well, if Al called uh-huh. in, Al's doing a Doors song. Suppose he called in John Densmore to be mm-hmm. a really authentic, you know, Doors drummer doing a Doors sound alike. You know, what would he play? What would, mm-hmm. you know? What would I play if I was John Densmore coming in to mm-hmm. play this Doors sounding song without playing necessarily specific licks? Right. But yeah. But what would he do? What would be his approach? So I have to get mm-hmm. inside his head. Cool. I have to do that with a ton of drummers. Ton you know, of drummers. When, whenever and Absolutely. most of our originals are in the style of some other group mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. artist, and uh, you know, I, I have to I have to get inside their heads. Mm-hmm. And try and figure out, you know, what would they do if they were mm-hmm. doing this? You know, what what should the drums sound like? But Al would give us some direction. He says, "Well, we're doing mm-hmm. a song, and it's it should have kind of the production value of this song. This is the yeah. production we're going after." Cool. So I would know coming in, you know, it wasn't just about parts. Again, there's sounds on that too, even the originals. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that was always those. In, in some ways, those were actually harder uh, to work on than just going in and copying a song because I was like, oh, mm-hmm. we never rehearsed. 
the songs okay, we parodied. Cool. You know, awesome. Back in the yeah, day that, right. that we actually had to perform them, we never mm-hmm. rehearsed them because we mm-hmm. didn't need to. We knew what we were supposed to play. Exactly. exactly. I mean, we'd run through it in the studio just to uh-huh. get a sound, just to make sure mm-hmm. we could still play together. But uh-huh. we never sat down and rehearsed them. The original songs we had to do because we were actually, mm-hmm. we were all working on parts. Yes. And uh, but you know, and then eventually, you know, on a lot of the parodies, you know, which were just programmed, um, we never ever played those live until we were going on the road. And if we were going to play it live, that's the, when we rehearse. That'd be the first time we'd ever actually play the song. Yes. And in a lot of those songs, we have to have some backing track uh, yeah, assistance, some percussion, and mm-hmm. certain sounds. I mean, there's only so many of us on stage. There's only one right. guitar player, yep. so we're already at a deficit for bands that had a rhythm so guitar and a lead guitar. We're already exactly. not you know complete. So uh-huh. there's a certain amount of stuff, and we're not faking very much, but we're adding mm-hmm. so that we don't sound like a, a bad bar band, you know, yes. trying to play stuff with a lot of this production. It's got to be in there. We got to have some backing tracks, and sometimes it means you know putting some strings or horns on something. Sometimes mm-hmm. it means putting a mm-hmm. second guitar part. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually it involves putting percussion on there because there's really percussion. nobody with any yeah. free hands to yes. shake tambourines or play cowbells or do any of that stuff. I mean, I only have so many arms and feet, you know. Yep. Uh, so those, those so that's the kind so of stuff important. that would wind up on our backing tracks. Yet, we went ahead and did a couple of tours recently where it was, mm-hmm. there are no tracks. We usually run video. Mm-hmm. Uh, no video. We usually do costumes. No costumes. Just us sitting there playing. Sort of unplugged. I mean, we were mm-hmm. rocking out, but mm-hmm. we're, we're strictly just us, just live. Al got a MIDI accordion, had to learn to play a lot of parts on songs that he'd never played before because we right. did all of that. Yeah. Uh, and, and so now he's like playing Cool. stuff in the band that he never yeah. had to think about before. Right, right. And we did mostly original songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there was a short medley at the end. And then we mm-hmm. did something also unique, which was a lot of fun and a lot of yeah. work. Okay. Uh, at the at, In the encore of these tours, and we went out in yeah. 2018, and then again did it in 2022 and 23, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. would, at the end of the, we'd come back for an encore, and we would play like a straight cover song. Just yeah. like a, a straight, just straight a up. glad yeah. all over by by the Dave Clark Five or Smoke mm-hmm. on the Water by Deep Purple or mm-hmm. uh, uh, Last Train to Clarksville by the Monkees. I mean, just mm-hmm. just songs that people kind of would know, mm-hmm. Stone songs, Beatles songs, uh, mm-hmm. just all sorts of different stuff. And some things that we liked, we did. You can call me Al. We yeah, did it's uh, perfect. You know, <laughs> just good. all sorts. And and the 2018 tour, we learned 77. Uh-huh cover oh songs so oh that we could gosh. play them each one time <laughs> yes i love that and that was that was I a lot of fun that. that was a lot of work i mean uh, we didn't learn them all work. before the tour we we yeah. learned a couple before yeah. we hit the road so that we would yep. have you know one or two in place and then mm-hmm. every day we would rehearse the song we were going to do that night and then the song mm-hmm. we were going to do at the next show perfect and so every song got two rehearsals nice but they only got played one time well when we That's went cool. out and we did That's basically cool. the same thing in 2022 that yeah. was we weren't about to learn a whole bunch of new songs <laughs> yeah. so we we pulled out a bunch of the songs that we had uh, uh-huh. done already mm-hmm. added a few new ones you know learned mm-hmm. worked up a few new ones and uh, and we did that again nice. and i think cool. on our next tour uh, we're, I, we're probably going to do the same thing, and I think mm-hmm. we're going to just have like a, a smaller selection of yeah. of uh, covers that we're going to do. But that was sort of a, a unique thing, and that's mm-hmm. part of what you do when you don't have a new album right. that you're that you're Makes doing a tour a on. Way. Is yeah. you change up the tour, right. and that yeah. that unplugged thing was mm-hmm. one way to change up the tour. Adding a yeah. cover song was a way to change up the tour. Every uh-huh. every I should add that every night was a different set. I we rotated that. about great. 40 songs or something, 40 Amazing. originals, and we'd yes. do 16, 17, 18 of them a night, mm-hmm. and that was it. And if we did two shows in the same city, if we did mm-hmm. two nights in a row, mm-hmm. we would make sure that the next night that there were no repeats. 
No repeats. Wow. But in all of the Zero. shows we did, we did 77 shows. They were yeah. 77 unique set lists. Amazing. Which Al put together, and which we had in advance. I mean, we knew in advance what mm-hmm. we were doing. Anyway, we yeah. did, and we did that again in 2022. That. We did uh-huh. a tour in 2019. Again, I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about changing things up and, and keeping yeah, them fresh and keeping it yep. exciting. Yep. Uh, we had done an orchestral tour. Cool. Every city we did, we had an orchestra. Now we carried a conductor because the conductor had to be familiar with the show and you know, mm-hmm. and and know who's doing what cues and things like that. So we had a mm-hmm. conductor. Actually, it was a father and son team. Oh. I I don't know. That was an odd thing, but we mm-hmm. always had one or the other, and they cool. both learned the show pretty quickly. And mm-hmm. they would rehearse, you know, that day's orchestra, you know, without us, so that we didn't have to go through a whole show twice mm-hmm. in a day. They would rehearse with the tape of our live show. Uh, from early in the tour and they would you know of course the orchestra had you know music and you know mm-hmm. to to work on and there were some good orchestras we played with the national symphony and in, in uh wolf trap and uh, uh colorado symphony in colorado and, uh, a bunch of really good yeah. you know proper orchestras and mm-hmm. al got that and certainly not the first rock band to go out and have an orchestra behind him uh-huh. I mean, a bunch of bands had done that mm-hmm. but that came about because in 2015 or 2016, I think, uh, we were playing the Hollywood Bowl. We did two mm-hmm. nights at the Hollywood We headlined the Hollywood mm-hmm. Bowl Amazing. for two nights. That's Amazing. Pretty good for a guy That's... with an accordion and a, and a suitcase, right? <laughs> right. So, yes. so this, was, this was during the summer. And the Hollywood Bowl's deal was, because mm-hmm. uh, they have their house orchestra, Mm-hmm. You know, if you come in and you play their venue, you know, you're you're basically putting all those guys out of work. You're putting totally. you know, 70 people out of work. So you have right. to hire the orchestra. Cool. And they will, they'll write arrangements for the show you're going to cool. do. You know, you send awesome. them the songs you're going to do and awesome. the set order. And they'll mm-hmm. make arrangements. You know, they're pros. And mm-hmm. they, they send you sort of a recording. You know, a guy plays sort of keyboard parts so you get an idea what you're going to hear, cool. you know, when you come in and play it. And we yeah. came in on the first of those days and... Had to had to go through the whole show. This was the first time we'd ever oh, done yeah. that. Of course, and went through it. And Al was just blown away. Yeah, and he's already now got it in his head. This uh-huh. this is great. You know, we could just like show up, and orchestra has music, and <laughs> yes. it works. Right. This is what a what a world. <laughs> totally, you know, they, must, they must be like a bunch of pros or something, and they were. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was really it yeah. was very very cool. I so, never knew that 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 was part of the reason why the, uh, bands would do those orchestra nights. Is it makes total sense. You're putting them out of work. It's a great way to keep them fed. Well, I, I think that, and that would stuff. happen. I think during orchestra season. Yeah, right, right. Uh, so, which would be naturally. summer, spring, and summer yep. probably in, in yep. a lot of places. Uh, although some bands would go out and they would tour with an orchestra because it's a novel mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, you know, totally, for, sure. for sure. That's that's one deal. Mm-hmm. Or you know, or they may target you know one show and do a special thing and they'll record exactly, it exactly special, you know, and then that becomes something that becomes a new album of old material in a totally. new, in a fresh way. For sure, and and that's kind of what happened with us. And the reason we didn't go out and just immediately do that on the very next tour mm. was he already had, you know, we're already doing the, the 2015 and 16 tour and he already knows what we're going to do in 2018. Yes. He already knows we're doing this unplugged thing because yep. he knows we don't have a contract. He knows there's not going to be a new album. So it's mm-hmm. like, well, we're going to play stuff. We know, you know, we'll change up some songs. Obviously we have 12 albums worth of songs mm-hmm. and uh, 12, I'm sorry, 14 albums worth of songs Wow, <laughs> and some extras. Yeah. And, uh, and he, uh, uh, he says, you know, well, we'll do that the next tour. So yes. 2018 was the uh, the self-indulgent vanity tour, the unplugged tour, or the uh, the uh, uh, no-frills tour, as we mm-hmm. called it. Uh-huh. And 2019 would become the uh, orchestral tour called No Strings Attached, cool. as opposed to... Str- cool. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Right. It was called Strings Attached. Strings Attached. Instead of No Opposite. Strings Attached. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, uh, and then 2020 was, was to be a year off, and then COVID hit. 
Hmm. And we were, uh, William Morris is the booking agency. They were starting Mm -hmm. to put together a a tour for 2021, you know, not Mm -hmm. knowing really what the immediate future held. Yeah. And, and we had big plans for 21. Mm-hmm. And as as that got closer, I think maybe at the end of 2020 or early 21, mm-hmm. they said, you know what, it's probably the things just aren't back yet. You're probably not going to fill places with people who, you know, are not going to sit next to each other inside right. indoors and stuff like yeah. that. Because yeah. we were playing, you know, larger theaters and stuff like that For mostly. Sure. And uh, so they, they postponed it. And instead, uh, we went out in 2022. And we went out for... Six months, actually, twenty-seven weeks yeah. with no breaks, not wow, no breaks, none, wow. zero, zip. Yeah, except yeah. when Al caught COVID, oh. he was the first to catch COVID about three weeks in, and yeah. we, and he's the one guy for which you don't get a sub. No, exactly. And it's it's hard enough to, for any of us to have subs because it's right. very particular kind of a, a and all, and show that, that material, we do. And of course, yeah, it's absolutely. a lot of stuff to learn. Yeah, and uh, however, we all had subs lined up just in case, you know. But you mm-hmm. can't do that for him. So we actually mm-hmm. sat for. I think five days while he mm-hmm. till he tested negative uh, positive again till mm-hmm. negative again negative sorry again. Yeah. No, and then we moved on and 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 mm-hmm. so we missed I think four dates which is yeah. Yeah. not bad considering uh, yeah. yeah and and again this is you know and everyone's vaccinated and all of that mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. still it's still a big it's deal still around uh, sure. Jim catches COVID next oh. now Jim the original plan was uh, you know unless you're just deathly ill. Yeah. Uh, in which case, you get your sub to come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you're deathly ill, they they separate you from the rest of us, from the rest mm-hmm. of the band, so we don't we're not exposed. Yeah. Right. And you play the show from another room, closed Whoa. off. You know, oh you gosh. eat dinner in another room. Yeah. You yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. travel on. You, you travel in a separate car. You don't room. travel with us. You know. Right. Right. Uh, and wow. so that worked. That worked for yeah. a handful of shows. Yeah. And then the the uh, tour manager and the crew realized, you know, separating. You know, one of the band members from the rest of the band is fine. You know, you keep them away from Al and the guys, but we still have to deal with them. Now we're exposed, you know, mm-hmm. and then that becomes mm-hmm. an issue when one of us, you know, you don't get subs for us. Right. You know, you don't get a sub for the sound man. There's a lot of hands-on yeah. and the monitor guy and the lighting. Mm-hmm. A lot of hands-on in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they can't afford to have, you know, any problems, and they'd really mm-hmm. there's no way they can get a sub together. Yeah. So the protocol changed. If you test mm-hmm. positive at all, no matter no matter how great you feel, you do not play. You you mm-hmm. do not travel with the band. Uh, you stay where you're at until you mm-hmm. test negative again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know whatever. And we tested every night, whether we played or not. We tested seven nights a week. Yeah. And wherever you test positive after for the band, it was after the show. Mm-hmm. You stay there. You go back to the hotel back and the you hotel stay and just in there the, until yeah. you test positive. And you and you get your sub lined up and yep. hopefully in time for the next show. Yep. Well, keyboard player was the next to oh, to uh, get yeah. COVID, and we were in Regina, Canada. I've been to and Regina. I, <laughs> it's a random we, place. <laughs> we, yeah, it's, it's beautiful and, though. It's small, yeah. small. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> and, and we uh, we uh, uh, tr- he was he, he had two subs lined up, and nice. one of them had gone off and had taken another gig, which is you know nobody's sitting mm-hmm. around waiting for us to get sick, but you know yeah. you got to you yeah. got to cover your butts. And then the guy who was available for there was something up with his passport and he couldn't oh, get into no. couldn't get into Canada because Canada's so strict with all that. Well, so uh, really strict. anywhere. I mean, these days you yeah. almost can't get on a plane you know without a passport if you don't have. Well, they haven't done the the uh, real ID like uh-huh. they, they have uh-huh. but you yeah. know if you have a passport you're okay which is interesting mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and i'm not going to say why on a public place why my passport is interesting but uh-huh. <laughs> it's my my regular driver's license is more legit than my passport but that's <laughs> i'm going to leave it at that okay. anyway uh i mean the passport has some of my names on it yeah anyway yeah. uh 
so so there was no way to get a sub out mm-hmm. and al and i sat down and al says uh what what can we do without ruben i said most of the songs yeah <laughs> will right. be fine without ruben there's a couple mm-hmm. of very keyboard centric mm-hmm. songs mm-hmm. and and you know we just well we just won't do those we had enough yeah. songs to choose from yeah. and we put mm-hmm. together four we did the next four shows without him Wow. Which I yeah. sure irked him. I'm sure. You know, we, yeah. and we we moved. We're already back in the states at this point. He flies uh-huh. out and meets us at the next show, and then you yeah. know we resume that. Well, about six weeks later, I get mm-hmm. COVID. Mm-hmm. Now I had five guys lined up, uh, including including <laughs> oh uh, some some you know some great players, some yes. experienced touring. Mm-hmm. You know they they had to be the right temperament. They obviously mm-hmm. they have to play. Uh, mm-hmm. And I took a lot of things into consideration. They need to be right-handed so they can sit down at my kid. Good point. You know, without yeah, without right, uh, right, changing their point. life. Uh-huh. You know, just all sorts of things. They they got to be roughly my size. I mean, I really took, you know, mm-hmm. so they don't have to make a whole lot of changes. So yeah, it's a yeah, comfortable yeah. transition for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had the one anomaly, I guess, uh-huh. would be uh, I had uh, John Hernandez, Vatos from Oingo Boingo, mm-hmm. was on my list. And cool. of course, I already I already talked to everyone. I said, mm-hmm. if if this happens, if and I don't, hopefully mm-hmm. not. Would you be able to come out on essentially no notice? You right. know, I'll send you charts. I'll send you recordings. Mm-hmm. But could you, if you get the call, can you just, you know, are you available to just walk away from your life? You know, mm-hmm. is there someone to take care of the cat? You know, stuff like right. that. And right. and I chose people like that for that reason that yeah. that could do that. They could. Do uh, Christopher Alice, who was Mike Nesmith's drummer, was on mm-hmm. the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Mario Caleri. Uh, from Ozo Motley and the Wallflowers was on the list. Cool. Uh, there are a few people. I, I asked Bunny Carlos from Cheap Trick because <laughs> awesome. I knew he hadn't been touring with them for quite a while. He's, and yeah, he yeah. wrote back. He kindly wrote back. He says, "You know, my my touring days are over, but thanks." <laughs> and and it's interesting because Bunny had seen uh, us play a couple of times, and one time cool. after after the show, he says, "You know, I I couldn't do what you do." No, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he knows I'm tied into the video and all that of stuff. Of course. And, Everything. Or maybe he might have, he might have said I wouldn't switching. I wouldn't do what you do. I wouldn't you know? do it. Yeah, <laughs> he might have a, a better sense of shame than I do. I don't know with the costumes and all this stuff. Anyway, I had I had five guys lined up. Well, yeah, my number one guy great. was an old, mm-hmm. and of course I've heard them all play. I know all the guys. Yes, and yes. and there was but there was one guy who was kind of always at the top of my list. Mm-hmm. And I knew wasn't out touring with other bands, mm-hmm. and I knew could play the stuff, and I'd known him for like thirty years, and I'd seen him play, and and knew he would play the parts and not start to evolve them and try to make okay. it his gig right. you know, while he was sitting up there. Yep. So so we're in Ashland, Kentucky, Ashland, playing Kentucky. a theater, and uh, I, it's funny that that afternoon, that day, mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. I'm not feeling I I, I sort of mm-hmm. felt okay. But my nose was just running all day, like I had an allergy, and I don't really have allergies. And it was just a very interesting. I, I knew something just wasn't right. Yeah. And and I called him that day. I said, uh, you know, are you still you still hanging around? You know, because mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I don't know for sure, but uh, just in case, you know, there's I, I, yeah. you know, something's up, and I don't know what. And if it's COVID, can you come out like mm-hmm. and, you know tomorrow? Yeah. He says, yeah. Let me. I hope you're okay, cool. but let me know. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we did the show. Tested after the show, and I tested positive twice, oh, and so it's like, yeah. okay, you gotta, you know, yeah. uh, is your can your guy come out? And I called him. It was like ten thirty at night, but mm-hmm. we we're in the same time zone at that time. Mm-hmm. And I called him. I said, "Can you come out? Like, there's a show tomorrow. Can you come out?" Oh. And he'd been working on the parts. I know he'd been working yeah, on the okay. parts. Yeah. And he says, "Yeah, let you know." And I, I basically, I put him onto the tour manager who got him mm-hmm. a plane ticket. He was on a mm-hmm. so ten thirty at night. He was on a plane at six in the morning. 
Awesome. And flew out and, yeah. and did the show. They didn't have to make any changes. They didn't have to drop any songs or anything Great. for him. Yeah. Uh, and he did the next four shows and did a great job. And mm-hmm. I know he did because I've got recordings of those shows. <laughs> yes, right. He did, he did great. He even sings, yeah. and, oh, which cool. I, don't, I don't do. And, uh, <laughs> or I try not to. Al tries not to make me sing. And I, I think he probably sang some stuff. You know? cool. Anyway, he, he, he did great. So, uh, but in the meantime, I'm in Ashland, Kentucky in a hotel room, right. just kind of waiting. The next day, uh, the uh, tour manager uh, hooks me up with a, 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 a rock doc, you know, a rock and roll doctor who uh, was able to get me a prescription for Paxlovid. Mm-hmm. which uh, mm-hmm. there was a, a drugstore not too far away, and I went out and took a walk down there and, mm-hmm. and got it there and started taking that you know, the next day, which is what you're supposed to do. Yep. Uh, and basically, I just I stayed in the hotel the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I, I met up with them in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to a day where it was like, you know what, I'm, I'm almost, I, I mean, I'm going to be negative tomorrow. You know? yeah. And they said, okay, fly out. We'll get you a flight. Fly out. Uh, let us know how you test. Mm-hmm. That morning, mm-hmm. and if you if you're completely negative, you yep. do the show that night in St. Louis. We'll send yep. Nick home, nice. and so you know I was there, tested completely negative, let them know. So mm-hmm. they went ahead and booked Nick on a flight. But in the meantime, I got to sit down with him for about an hour uh-huh. at the hotel and just sort of catch up with him. He had yeah. moved to Nashville from cool. L.A. years ago, and I hadn't really spent much time with him in a while. So we got to just mm-hmm. sit and chat and catch up a little bit. I thanked mm-hmm. him profusely for you know working on the parts. So the guys, Al was was really really appreciative that yeah. i had done my homework and had Absolutely. somebody like they didn't miss any time at all i mean they just went on to the yeah. next show mm-hmm. uh, which you know would not have happened with the other guys mm-hmm. and uh he was he really thought i had done a great job i said you know i just i picked the right guy who did a great job he did yeah. his homework you know i just i made the choice but he He's the one that pulled it off. So in the meantime, I've uh, I, I talked to him recently. I said, you know, again, I don't know what the protocols are going to be next time, but just mm-hmm. for any reason, I mean, if I break my arm or fall out of a plane or something, you know, would you be willing mm-hmm. to come back out and, and sit in or, or resume the tour? I mean, if mm-hmm. that happens, he says, oh, ab- absolutely. I would love to do that. So I've, I've got one guy lined up next time and that's I'll good. line up, you know, one or yeah. two more just in case. But that's yeah. not something we've ever had to do before. No, that's totally. not something we thought of. Mm-hmm. Uh and in the end, everyone on the band bus in mm-hmm. the end had had caught COVID at some point. Wow. With with Steve yeah. J, it happened after the tour. He caught it after later, but mm-hmm. and and nobody on the crew bus did, huh. which is very very interesting because they interacted with local crew people five t- times a week, and right. we only interacted with ourselves and and yeah. well and the crew, mm-hmm. but uh, somehow you know everyone mm-hmm. in the band bus you know Random. had and no nobody got released. Actually, Steve got. Yeah. Sick, but nobody got really, really sick. Yeah. Uh, so that's you know that's thanks to the vaccines, I'm sure, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that helped. When we went back out, this is this is uh, we wrapped up uh, at Carnegie Hall actually at the cool. end of October in 2022. Great. Pretty cool gig. We played the Kennedy yeah. Center that year. Right. Did some did some really prestigious places. It was very yes. cool. And again, yes. this was the unplugged tour. This was not with mm-hmm. the orchestra. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the orchestra, we played some very cool venues for that. Exactly. We had to. We had to play big stages. Yeah, exactly. No uh, we way. played Red Rocks uh, outside oh, of Denver. Sold out Red dream. Rocks. You Amazing. Know, pretty, pretty cool. That's pretty dang cool. So we went back out and we did uh, the European and Australia tour in mm-hmm. February and March of 23. Mm-hmm. And then we also made up uh, for the four dates that Al missed. Yeah. We made, which were sort of in the upper Midwest, kind of like Michigan, I think one in Illinois, 
okay. uh, maybe one in, in Indiana, something like that. Uh, we, we did those, and we added a date as well while we were at it. So we did mm-hmm. five dates in the States at the beginning of uh, February of that year, and then went on to, uh, I think we started in Dublin, Ireland, cool. was our, uh, our beginning of uh, almost four weeks in Europe which was awesome. great. Played a bunch yeah. of places we never played sure, there great. before. Played the uh-huh. London Palladium while we were cool. there. Awesome. Uh, just a very cool, very fun tour. And had Absolutely. some days off in some cool places. Had a, I, I think had that. a day off in Dusseldorf, which actually was pretty cool. cool. Awesome. Uh, it was just, it was neat. Played Vienna for the first time. Uh, <laughs> nice. Played in Germany for the first time. Berlin, Dusseldorf, uh, Hamburg. Oh, Hamburg was great. Enjoyed yeah. Hamburg a lot. Cool. Uh, and then went to Australia. And anyway, so for this, mm-hmm. uh, we were out for almost eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And on that tour... Was, was a 180 from the one before. There were really mm-hmm. no COVID protocols. In other words, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, mm-hmm. stay out of restaurants and wear a mask when you're near anybody and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, do do what you want to do, but we're not going to enforce any protocols. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I brought tests along just to see where mm-hmm. I was at the For whole sure. time. At sure. any rate, and I brought, ma- I always wear masks on planes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Still do. Yep. And, uh, but I brought some tests along and I just mm-hmm. tested throughout the entire tour. I was mm-hmm. like, uh, no problem. Whatever we were yeah. doing, we were doing it right. Yeah. Nobody, right. nobody yeah. got sick. You know, we did. Awesome. We did fine. Uh, yeah. Not sure how that's going to play out on future tours. For sure. You know, I you think know. Uh, I think I'm always going to wear a mask on a plane from now yeah. on. No, I get it. But it uh, be pretty gross. But, and, and, but <laughs> you know, I'm I'm going to stay vaxxed up and uh-huh. uh, stay current with all of that stuff and and yeah. do my best to to not mm-hmm. catch COVID again. And again, I didn't have a tough time with it. I just would rather mm-hmm. have not had it. Yes, of course. I would rather have done those shows. Yeah, of course. And uh, but I did get sick pay. I did get paid for that nice. week. So it's That's not good. it's not like That's it good. cost me anything. Right. In fact, it cost Al because he had to pay. He had to Double. fly the other yeah. guy back and forth. He had to fly me because I was going to yeah. be on the bus otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it cost him. Mm-hmm. You know, he he paid a, a fair bit out of his pocket. He had to sing a few songs to afford that. Yeah, right. Uh, well, but, but anyway, it's, it's that, a, that was our our COVID uh, experience. And, and but that's a really great just kind of general lesson for what life on the road looks like, you know, having contingencies, maintaining your health, you know, minimizing yeah. risk. Um, and then also, you know, trying to, trying to build a community. Um, Cause it, it's always, it's, it's a little dangerous to call in somebody to sub because like you're saying, if they have the wrong personality, they might try to sow division or take the gig or devolve parts well, in a certain, you know, they, like those, there's, yeah. those people exist. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, the personality issue was more a case of I just wanted them to be able to get along with the guys. And and we're all pretty easygoing. I mean, there's not any, you know, any real jerks. In, yes. in the organization, you know, uh-huh. we because everyone has to, everyone's together like twenty four seven. You can't have people that are ruffling feathers, and that's why and, you had longevity. That's why you've yeah been working well, together. So, for so, so long. we've had well longevity in the band. This has been the yeah. same band yeah. since the first album, since nineteen eighty two. That's beautiful. Uh, and and uh, with with the exception of sort of keyboard players coming and going, mm-hmm. so we don't really count them. We mm-hmm. count this guy that's been with us coming up on thirty three years. He's our touring keyboardist. Cool. Uh, yeah. But the core band has been mm-hmm. the same. Mm-hmm. This whole time, and there's only yeah. one other band that's been together with the same guys mm-hmm. and still working longer than us, and that's you too. No way. That's a great. And I think their last album was a number one album, also. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. although they're there. still, I, I there's think they're still there. making albums. You know, that's uh-huh. the only difference between them and us. But uh-huh. as far as still out there working, yeah, uh, and the right. same guys from day one. Cool. That's it's us and them. Yeah, I love that. So not not bad, not, not bad. bad. On that note, uh, Bermuda, I want to ask you one final question. So this is um, one of my favorite little parts of the episode. So the the show is called Love Music More, and we call this segment Love Music Why. And really, this is just an opportunity to talk about 
why do you love music after all these years? Why do you wake up excited to work, to play, to collaborate? What is it about music um, that, that keeps you going, keeps you excited? Why do you love it? Uh, I, I guess I just love music. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, it makes me feel good. Uh, it makes me feel good to hear music. It makes me feel good to play music. I mean, that's why I can play. And I, I'm in a number of bands here in L.A. I always have been. And, uh, you know, of course, when I'm on the road, I, they defer to Al. They have to, you know. They, uh, and they all go get subs. And, you know, and I come back to town. And I come back into these bands. Uh, so I've yet to be replaced in any of these bands. Uh, and some of them I've been with for many, many years. There's one guy I've been playing with for since 1981. Yeah, st- still work with him. Uh you know, I, I enjoy playing, I just enjoy playing drums. And, and I am happy, I'll, I'm fine playing in front of 5,000 people or or 50 people, you know, or five people. Well, not five, 50, <laughs> you know. No, I mean, I, I it doesn't matter, you know, I, I can play a bar or I can play Red Rocks. And it's really, uh, you know, it's it's kind of the, behind the kit, it's the same to me. I mean, I enjoy it the same. And that's just because I, I enjoy playing drums. And I play all sorts of different music that I might not listen to otherwise. And I enjoy it because I'm playing drums, you know, and I just, I, I enjoy it. I think, and that's why I love music. I love that. No, I think that's special. Just to, you, you makes, it makes me feel good. You know? It makes you feel good. And it makes other people feel good to experience it and the community that you're in to play it with other people. I mean, all of that's really powerful. And I, I love the perspective of, you know, it's all music, be it in yeah. Red Rocks or otherwise, it's all music. And, keeping that joy and keeping that perspective, which can be really difficult. I think, especially from an artist's perspective, um, you know, it's, it's one, one last thing about it's, please. it's all music. You know, a lot of people, yeah. a lot of musicians, a lot of artists, mm-hmm. you know, who play a, a, a real instrument, you know, <laughs> are just down on all of this sequenced programmed stuff, you know, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of the, the rap and hip hop and stuff. And I have, I have a different perspective on it. Cause I've, listen to a lot of this stuff because we've gone in and parodied a lot of this stuff. <laughs> right, yeah. now, now, now that's, you know, Al may make up funny words, but I mean, my business is serious and I have yes. to go in and I have to dissect and I have to listen and I have to study. And I know what goes into these productions. I know very, very well what it takes to do that. It's not somebody just slapping together a bunch of sounds. There's a lot, lot of work that goes into it. Uh, you know, maybe not as much work as I put in trying to figure out what they did, but there's there's a lot that goes into it. So I have I have a real appreciation for for a lot of stuff. Uh, the Super Bowl, the Usher, and and all of that stuff. I have a real appreciation for what it takes to make those songs, for what it takes to put on a production like that. You know, for, it's it's a show, it's entertainment. I mean, it, you know, that's what the Super Bowl has become, and that's okay. You know, it's just. You got to be at that level, and that's what these Super Bowl shows are. That's what these halftime shows are. They're at another level, and and I appreciate what they do to do that. And so I can watch it and I can enjoy it. And it may or may not be music I listen to, uh, you know, but I I enjoy it and I listen to it. Maybe I'm sitting there dissecting it. I don't know what it <laughs> is, but I'm 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 in it and and I'm I'm uh, you know engrossed in it. And I know what it takes to do that stuff. And it's not just throw away, slap together, simple stuff. And a lot of these musicians who create, you know, serious stuff don't understand that someone else pushing buttons and manipulating files is also creating. And it's it's not as easy as they think, you yeah. know. And and it's uh 
and I know that. I know that very, very well. Uh, so I have I have an appreciation for both sides. Do I have a preference? No, because I like playing drums or making drum sounds. Whatever it takes to make drum sounds, I like doing that. Love and so that's I'm I'm good with with either way. That's a great perspective. Well, thank you so much for me. I really appreciated the conversation. Thank you really so much. Journey. Have a great one.